What's up, everybody? It's Chad. I need a haircut and a beard trim. Lozano from Ask Chad Grassy Logic. I'm joined today with my buddy Joaquin from <clears throat> Messiah Valley Pharmacy. Not a pharmaceutical or anything. They're actually a legitimate pharmacy. But I'll let him explain more of that once we get started into the show and everything. Today, we're going to be talking about them as well as the New Mexico legislator up a legislative update. Um, Texas wants checkpoints uh, coming into Texas from New Mexico. We'll talk more about that. And uh, state sales are up. Um, we got a lot more to talk about as well, but that's just the title. Um, and before I, you know, continue on, thank you for joining me, Joaquin. Um, yes. it's great to, pleasure to meet you and everything. And thanks for having me, Mr. Lozano, Chad, and, <laughs> on the Grassy Logic podcast here. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah. And Mr. Lozano is my dad. Um, he was a teacher for like 25 years. Um, so I, I really appreciate you joining me on the show and everything. And then before we get, go any further, please, you know, introduce yourself to the audience, tell them who you are, you know, what you're about. Cool. Uh, guys, I'm Joaquin Acosta. I'm a local kid here from Las Cruces. For those of you who are Las Cruces viewers and or beyond, um, yep, definitely grew up drinking the water here. Um, <laughs> East Picacho, Vista Middle School, Mayfield, NMSU, then UNM. Okay, so you see the UNM on my shirt. I'm a complete local kid, so let me just start with that for sure. Um, but anyways, the whole point of pretty much me being here was a cooperative pharmacy program from New Mexico State University to University of New Mexico. It pretty much, it was like a pretty sweet ticket into the pharmacy school. So therefore we could come back and serve our local area as pharmacists. Um, there was, that was kind of like part of like just the terms of agreement there. It wasn't necessarily like a contract or anything like that particularly, but anyways, that's how I'm a local kid back here in a UNM shirt on a podcast as a pharmacist right now. So <laughs> in the short term, otherwise, we've got Messiah Valley Pharmacy downtown. Currently, I'm um, the pharmacy manager there. I'm the CEO of the company. Um, also, our sister company, Farm True, which we are currently growing for the cannabis side as we kind of sit here and have united um, cannabis and pharmacy in a pretty unique way, which hopefully we get to touch on a little bit more here in this podcast. Yeah, so. Um, that's basically it. Two sister companies, Messiah Valley Pharmacy and Farm True. Farm True being the cannabis company, as cannabis applies to the Grassy Logic podcast in the context of the podcast. But we're trying to make it all one thing and make it less ambiguous in terms of our situation, particularly. So, be happy to touch on that for sure. And thanks again for having me, man. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's you know a great explanation and everything. There's a lot of components that went into where you are now. So, I mean, I'm, I'm great <laughs> that we get to dive in and kind of figure out what everything because yeah, this is something new. So without being, with that being said, everybody, let's get into the episode. Let's talk about Messiah Valley Pharmacy. If you guys don't know, um, no pharmacy in the nation sells cannabis, red cannabis, or medical cannabis from my understanding, and they're the only ones who did that. However, um, there's another challenge that they had. They're right next to a charter school, and the city um, really kind of, they put a limit of how far you can be between each other. And then, but they did it for schools. However, they can, you can go into a hearing and they can give you an exemption and they actually got the exemption, which is, you know, a great thing to hear. Um, I mean, they're a legitimate pharmacy. Uh, so I'm not going to talk for them. I'll let you go ahead and, you know, tell everybody, you know, how did this call start? Sure. Uh, so basically, I guess I have to, when I have to kind of bring you guys into the context of it all, to yeah. me, I have to just kind of take it back to probably like, 2014 really so we're leaving to pharmacy school and i say we as in pretty much our new mexico state class up um particularly like me and one of our partners now jeffrey stewart a local boy uh <laughs> we went up together and went to unim um, basically they had a business degree that you could simultaneously get for free with um the pharmacy degree so we decided to be ambitious 
me, Jeff, and our other partner, now Trey Howard from Nacogdoches, Texas, um, basically to embark on the business degree as well as the pharmacy degree simultaneously. So we bit off a whole big log there um, with the intent at that time of like eventually trying to get our own pharmacy going. We didn't necessarily know what it meant for us or anything at all. Like that is literally how it came up. It was just like, all right, well, it's free. We're only going to be here once, kind of a YOLO. Let's try to just get this thing done and see if we learn anything. Um, and then obviously like it, it started, I think it just got our clocks working in the right direction. I can see, um, I guess some people consider like MBAs just kind of a, I don't know. Some people consider it a waste of time straight up. And like, yeah, I can that. see all of the different logical arguments around the whole thing, but we went through the school part and we did that part just to, <laughs> just to go. So in the pharmacy school is a four year deal. The MBA thing was like three and a half years within that. In the last year of that 27, 2018, we wanted to actually enter the business school competition um, that they have annually. It's the UNM Anderson school of management business plan competition like an annual thing they just recruit uh, pretty much like entrepreneurial they have like an entrepreneurial track and um forget it's like a technology track so two different kind of like styles of um operators obviously so i mean if you've got a program and a code and you're taking it up all the way there you're going to probably go on the programmer side or the on that tech side and then obviously like the entrepreneurial side was um us i think there was like representative from like oregon mountain back in the day it was like a while back and um there was like a burger place and some other stuff and so anyways we, there was a group of i guess like kind of a shark tank style pitch deal at um from just renowned people and i guess in albuquerque business world yeah. that judged the competition so it took us a year of time but we saw a gap in the las cruces market for long-term care pharmacy which nobody has any idea what that is and pretty much nor really should they right by any means we just we learned in our little kind of like weird angling of trying to figure out how to open up a pharmacy that a long-term care pharmacy like just was advantageous in terms of like trying to be a lean startup so we were yeah. trying to not spend a whole lot of money up front and find a way to generate more money than we would be spending and retail pharmacy i mean even if you were to just type in on google how do you start a retail pharmacy the first thing they're going to say is location and like <laughs> when you really put that in a whole context like right it just it's uh, it just costs way more to do that in that regard particularly and there was other ways that we saw that pharmacy you could like make money and still fill gaps pretty much and basically what it amounted to was a business plan a business plan centered around long-term care pharmacy in las cruces where we currently had no access to that in our nursing homes or our long-term care facilities like assisted living um i mean even like the jail they they have like long-term care so from skilled nursing all the way down to like group homes um vet clinics um they're under pharmacist management obviously the ones with people are under like long-term care and they take extra kind of intensive medications las cruces yeah. is a retirement town for what we all know i mean as we're talking about on the cannabis podcast but i think this will kind of bring in a little bit more context when you're talking about our patient base in general and just las cruces and the whole thing so i think it's important but basically we're looking at long-term care and we we're looking at las cruces um there was a pharmacy in albuquerque and there was a pharmacy in el paso that were servicing the town then and for our giant senior population i mean that seemed like just a lot of, I guess, great opportunity for a young entrepreneurial you know, group to try to find a niche. And so anyways, we 
did the business plan competition. We luckily somehow pulled off a win in that. We worked hard <laughs> and we identified whatever. And so that was cool to be able to geek out on that part and kind of learn the planning of business and taking the time to really try to think about it. But the thinking and doing are two billion different things, like in two different dimensions. So obviously, pretty much we show up at, with our $25,000 of seed money and our new degrees and licenses down to Las Cruces. We opened up a little small 800 square foot long-term care pharmacy closed door on Wyatt Drive. And that took another six or eight months to really get licensed up and going really. And we were trying to base that we were going to hopefully get some business with long-term care facilities here in town at that time that we were like going to learn how to, or that we had been transitioning some business for uh, from the pharmacist consulting like avenue that we were taking, which I'm not even talking about that. But anyways, we just expected that we were going to kind of hopefully have some business there waiting for us. I, at that time, worked for CVS. My partner worked for Walmart. Other partner worked for Albertsons. We were hoping that like the plan was one person was going to quit. <laughs> the other two would help kind of sustain. And, you know, we'd be able to get that small long-term care pharmacy off the ground enough to kind of get everybody out of their corporate jobs sooner rather than later. Uh, but it was still kind of, it was still up in the air as far as, okay, this is, we really have to like ink some contracts to even get like anywhere competitively. And this is going to be a process. So as we're looking at that whole thing and we didn't have any business coming for us and we're working our corporate jobs, the 2018 farm bill comes through mm -hmm. and all of a sudden um, we're looking at, uh, we, I was part of the Arrowhead. It was like this, it's an Arrowhead startup, um, NMSU branch. I think I heard that. So yeah, yeah. Shout out to them um, for sure, all the way. And I'm sorry that I don't have everybody's names <laughs> written down off the top of my head. But honestly, I was using that um, incubator to just kind of try to create some relationships and talk to people. And um, at least the nice part about you know those conversations, I had, I was able to kind of like see a little bit of more of the glue between uh, pharmacies independent pharmacies here in town were at, or in here in the state of New Mexico were all of a sudden were just like selling CBD like hotcakes like yeah. they were and I'm sure you guys saw that everywhere but basically it seemed to be a very good pharmacy niche and at the time like um, we were like interesting so um, there was obviously some people that were looking into the whole growing it and the whole deal and basically my roommate at the time Lucas Ogos um, one of my roommates and the other one Mikey Romero basically Lucas was the farmer and he had a their family Ogos Farms and the whole thing. And so basically, I mean, it kind of formulated to the fact of let's try to feed this guy some way to grow us some hemp products, yeah. right? And so we were looking at, all right, perhaps we were in the business plan state of mind. So it's like, all right, we can grow some hemp as an agricultural commodity, use this hemp to um, hopefully in a perfect world that never happened, um, uh, get us some more funds to get to the next place of actually producing our own products and doing that kind of thing and then selling out to the masses. And we were hoping to just stepwise make that happen and really obviously, basically, no, it didn't happen that way. And so we kind of invested some heavy time and obviously money and resources into the hemp um, side of things. And we called that, formulated it under a company called Farm True to keep the liability and everything in, within a company and try to keep a structure and organization going and get some branding going around that. And so that's basically where we, you know, incubated the idea was 
really just trying to find a, a way to, to initially sell, grow, sell, flip hemp. And we thought it was just going to work like that. Funny. <laughs> and I, I mean, I will gladly, I would just openly admit that. I think it's funny. It's cool to just see that part. And so obviously on that note of things, I think it was like the summer of 2019 or something. We're um, growing in the field. And basically I'm up there in our Garfield grow every single day, just like trying to learn how to promote it. I'm messing around with all the marketing stuff on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter every single day driving up to the farm and back. And we're just, we're just hitting it. And, um, that was some of the cooler parts where I started finding some of the cool parts of the industry, like in terms of kind of how we may or may not be fitting and stuff and kind of seeing how some of the healthcare operators started operating and ended up having, getting to have some cool conversations with like healthcare oriented people. Um, LinkedIn was a cool place to actually meet people back in those days. Like, mm -hmm. I ended up getting onto the board, serving as a board member for the International Society of Cannabis Pharmacists for um, like two years. Yeah. And so we were, I like we would just, I guess, meet and convene. And the whole, like the big goal was recruiting more pharmacists, creating more training for pharmacists. Like true, it was a good um, kind of uniting point for that because pharmacists in our own little branch of healthcare are a funny little branch that's kind of like really connected to the community there. If you're looking at like a, I don't know, just like a regular community access point, really, because obviously hospitals, you go there when you're like super sick. And then pharmacies work kind of there when people are doing all right or doing kind of all right. So getting better. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like you're still taking care of yourself for yeah. the most part or everything like that. So um, forgive me for like losing my train of thought, but it's just you guys' timeline of, you know, how you came about. So let me retrace. Basically, can you retrace where I was? <laughs> yeah, like, 20. I mean, it was a lot so, of information, so I don't blame you losing. We're hitting. Spot. Okay, sorry. We're hitting the hemp field. There you go. Ending, ending up on the um, board of this pharmacy thing, and we're seeing the medical kind of side of it from that side. Um, we, I was doing like a little bit of a, a podcast that we were doing through the company to interview um, medical professionals in the cannabis place. So from California and Florida and nice. some of these other places, we actually got to talk to some providers. Bonnie Goldstein is like an actual top cannabis doctor in like pretty much USA history. So she was one of the cool ones that we actually really got to talk to. She's doing pediatrics and autism and epilepsy and a lot of interesting stuff. And she's seen a lot of use cases since like the late nineties. And mm. so it's very cool to know there's prescribers that are out there battling like that. So that was 2019, just kind of hearing how they've been navigating and everything. And so that was kind of setting us up, I guess, more clinically in the mind for how kind of to treat with cannabis, how to use cannabis, how it may or may not like help people. And so I think that was really some good positive benefit, even though the field of growing was not like our specialty by any means. So um, <laughs> after taking that L pretty much, um, we got into the point of trying to actually make products. So we had purchased CBD isolate. We had Seco Spice for the kind of the farm. Um, they That was kind of the farm portion of it through Lucas and his family, but they also had like Seco Spice itself is like an FDA registered like factory place. And hmm. um, so basically they have like their own lab up there and everything. So uh -huh. stainless steel and everything, we were able to nice. just at least use that for a place to incubate our time to do our experiments and stuff mm -hmm. for, um, our initial product formulations. And I mean, a long time over this, I mean, you know, 
heat of heating ovens and everything and we're just sitting there melting things and putting things together <laughs> yeah. basically that's i mean that's how it initially started was just trying to get formulations that would like stay together and stuff and we were hoping to apply like our pharmaceutical kind of like i guess backing to kind of that situation because you're almost you're mixing a yeah a kitchen with almost like a herb herbalist with your pharmaceutical into a almost like an unknown gray area place where when you look at the cannabis industry as a whole like i know i'm still i'm citing a study from like two or three years ago but a jama study which i bet is still probably pretty dang true it's like that you're sitting between like like 50 and 70 percent of products on because I don't remember the number, it are like literally considered mislabeled. Mm-hmm. So be, right, their THC percents are off, their CBD yeah. percents are off, everything's off, and yeah. you don't know what's going on in there. And I mean, obviously, that's the part of the industry that I hope we can get to protect and address, mm-hmm. and that kind of gets better and more standardized universally, like globally. Like it really, like that's probably the standard that it needs to be. If you're looking at an active pharmaceutical ingredient, like your standards are pretty standardized, like yeah. as far as that. So. I don't obviously like I don't know how that all is supposed to look or where that means to that. But when we are relating it to how we're going to like look at it, how we're going to dose it and operate it, um, we were really trying to find something consistent and something that was going to pretty much work as far as our formulations. And we were pushing the pharmacist formulated side of our CBD products. Um, Mm. And so we wanted to have our angle that we hit all our dosing and our i guess recipes for attacking like inflammation with our topical and or um, just like knowing our dose and being confident about what we were going to um, educate people about as far as cbd was concerned we really stuck with cbd isolate we purchased we were sourcing cbd isolate from eagle moon Um, they were isolate supplier for us and they were great Um, so really we just pretty much ended up kind of trying the whole mix of products at first. And we had like 30 different SKUs and it was just a big mess of everything <laughs> everywhere. Like it was, I guess the ambitious way to do it, of course. And like some people you hear, I guess like start with one product, make it perfect, get the package great, do all these things, right? Like get there, get that good rinse and repeat from there. And I mean, we did the opposite way. And like, we started, you know, cutting the fat of the products that weren't working for us. We couldn't make dog treats specifically treats work very well. It wasn't worth the time to continue to try to invest in that, in my humble opinion. So we cut it. Um, like we really like the tinctures because we can do a lot of medicine and a lot of consistent dosing and have great storage and stability with a tincture in an amber vial out of heat and light, right? Um, those last forever. They're good to work with, especially for people who, um, in our like kind of patient segment. So it was a good place to focus a lot of our efforts. I still highly recommend that for the entire cannabis community as a whole. And those who are interested in cannabis, like it's a very effective way to, to dose and to measure dose. As long as you have like a graduated dropper and you can sit there and, and measure inherently every time how much you had. I mean, granted, unless you were doing like a specific edible, that's obviously going to be portioned to a particular dose. Yes, that's great. Assuming the I mean, assuming the mixture and the blend is completely uniform and homogenized. And I mean, it is what it is. It's just, that's where I'm referring to mislabeling and misbranding and things because you don't quite always know. Some people can say like, I got this edible from this place, got the same edible the next time. It didn't do anything, yada, 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 this on and this forth. So 
we're trying to kind of, well, at least still, this is still a problem. This was a problem back then. It's still a problem. So that's the only reason I'm really bringing it up in the context of the conversation right now. Yeah. But um, looking at the product formulations, how you're going to try to make something work. We were looking at CBD MD and Green Roads, the, obviously the health brands that were yeah. doing it big CBD MD out of New York or wherever and Green Roads out of Florida. And um, they were, I liked the way that they were doing it. Like you can see some of the influence from our labeling from CBD MD itself. Like I was sitting there on Photoshop doing the whole thing, learning every skill one at a time to try to get it all figured out. And like, that's basically what we started doing to chip away at the block for, all right, we have a product, we need a recipe, we need a package, we need a label. And all of a sudden we did it all at once and then kind of chipped back and started refining to our liking from there. I can see the part of it's a fun art to it all. And to me, that's where I draw the fun in it versus the kind of adversity that goes around it. Cause it's fun to try to find like solutions and, and stuff like that. And definitely knowing that I don't think there's many other people in the world and or around that may have an educational backing with like a pharmacy degree that really could like try to like really work it right now. So there may be like a small subset of people kind of in my like specific niche that are even operating in the, in that. We really want to lean into that and see where it was going to take us. Um, so we wanted to push like eventually our uh, CBD products into other pharmacies. So we were looking at independent pharmacies in New Mexico and that's kind of where we halted some of the push. So I'll bring that back to Mesilla Valley Pharmacy. So Mesilla Valley Pharmacy was in that long-term care place. We got um, offered basically a um, once in a lifetime opportunity, right? From our partner, Mikey, his family had uh, that building that we were in. It was their insurance building for like 40, 50 years before um, basically somehow this offer came that, you know, hey, um, Mikey's grandpa, Leo, had been, you know, really advocating for the fact that he would love to see us put a pharmacy in that building. And <laughs> he like pushed, like he really, really pushed. And, yeah. you know, it, uh, it like it happened. And so that was the cool part. It was um, basically between Leo and Mikey, those guys figured out how to help us with um, making that situation work. We went to the bank and we were like blessed enough to get a little bit of money going there and we uh were part of the downtown revitalization um kind of like kickback project so that yeah. added in some more funds to being able to do a nice place and you know that tid funding that was able to provide for that which may or may not still exist i don't necessarily know the current stuff but it was a superiorly a blessing and you know taking downtown into that consideration and knowing what it has done for us and what we can do back for it in turn it is definitely something we have tried to like truly embrace because I mean, it was it, like Las Cruces needed a downtown Las Cruces needed a pharmacy. I hope that we can say that we are helping to give back to those specific needs. So basically we remodeled that place downtown um, where we are now in Mesilla Valley pharmacy. For those of you who know um, in that parking lot, while we were remodeling is when we started selling our CBD products, like kind of just um, straight direct to consumer. So we popped up a tent, branded tent and stuff, and we started baiting out our products. We were giving out free CBD gummies, had a gummy bear mascot. We had it called him <laughs> Dr. Bear. We did the whole thing. And we were just gauging people's particular interest for CBD, for CBD yeah. products and stuff. It was, And back then, it, it was just funny because it was still very raw. And like there was uh, 
just a lot of, I guess, I would say the same thing, curiosity and confusion as in regards to CBD and or hemp. And then at the time, obviously like, oh, but it's not cannabis. I can't touch that. Like, and there's still people that do yeah, that, but yeah. it's less now. So basically um, we, we got to spend that time about, you know, some of the times of, hey, your cream was, I don't know, too chunky or something like whatever little modifications we were able to make some tweaks which was nice to actually like get that part of our product line to a place that, you know, we could consistently give the same product that we wanted to give, like basically, and that we were proud of and we could stand behind for our little unit of products that we were doing. So anyways, we, uh, the pharmacy opened finally, me and Chad were talking about this before, um, noting to the, I think it was 2021 Southwest cannabis cultivation conference we threw that with as farm true right when we finished our remodel so we were finishing our remodel we had no idea cannabis was going to get legalized in the state of new mexico we were doing cbd <laughs> and we were like at each other's throats trying to remodel the pharmacy and just get that thing done so yeah all of a sudden we get hit sideswipe from boom uh let's go ahead and wreck cannabis is going wreck like good luck everybody and so like we had pushed hard and <laughs> farm true like everything like our inherently like everything was fully invested there as far as myself like it's there it was just like frustrating because i mean to start like mvp got all the resources time money resources love all of it then you put that on the back burner go into the head field and eat crap for a while and do that and mvp's kind of back burner because we still got to keep our corporate jobs keep the money coming yeah, in and yeah then we're back burner again and then all of a sudden it's like okay we're gonna miss an opportunity unless we find a way to like step on the gas a little bit so Basically, we were just, I mean, trying to at least hope that we can meet more people in the industry and everything like that. So we were trying to at least add some value to the fact that we had a, a space, 4,000 foot renovated space, and it was completely randomly clear for us to put chairs and speakers and uh, recruit people. So it was basically, we had that conference, which um, I have talked to people that I haven't particularly entirely met before in the cannabis industry that were there at that conference and so I, th I think it's cool like i think it's cool that people were able to come and it added value for people at the time and i regret that it kind of dissipated to what it was but for what it was in that day i i appreciate that um the rld came down and spoke so we do i think we were trying to like really just create more access for all the farmers and the southern new mexico um cannabis people um to just have a better shot at that as we're talking about here even in the future like the border the border checkpoint creates kind of a little bit more of a bottleneck for the industry. You could say the North is more favored because if your operation is completely above the checkpoint, because I mean, some of those things, but just kind of alluding to that in some degree. Um, I know, you know, plenty of people North and South, so it's not North versus South. It's just interesting that a checkpoint like can really create some problems. Um, some huge issues. Yeah. <laughs> so, so basically we, we had this conference about the cannabis cultivation and we um, that kind of like spurred off. All right. We feel pretty involved and that we can kind of jump in when we see fit. And so we were looking at trying to get the Garfield grow where we were uh, did the hemp certified for or licensed for the growing production license for cannabis. So we shot that in there. We saw already all the, drama with the water rides and the office of the state engineer that everybody already understands. So we don't yeah. even need to go there. And so we were letting that incubate. Lucas was managing that part and he was going to manage that license and try to acquire it. And so 
simultaneously, we were eyeing the um, that new manufacturing license and the rule that had came out with the topicals and the edibles and everything like that last like December. Boom. So we see that. And then we're trying to go into getting the licensing. So we go to the city of Las Cruces and we go to their little cannabis meetings that they were having. And we um, were told that we needed to put an appeal to our location um, to get any of these licenses that we wanted because um, we were parked next to this charter school downtown, the new America school, which I'm sure for a lot of the people that have, if you guys have heard Mesilla Valley pharmacy and you're in the cannabis industry, you probably have some sort of idea about this part as we get into that. So really like kind of the current times now, Exactly. <laughs> so now you caught up a couple of years and you can kind of see the whole point as we blab and thank everybody for listening for who hasn't, I don't know if you have to cut me off, please cut me off. Um, <laughs> no, no, keep going. I mean, the, the, there's a huge timeline with everything. So, but now we're, we're two to the date and everything. And now and it's going to just, yeah, now everything just keeps going up. on down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> thank you guys. So yeah, if you need that intermission bathroom break, or whatever, I'll still be talking probably like two minutes. <laughs> there's a good, there's a pause button. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and so we hit the, basically we were told, um, that we can't acquire any sort of cannabis licensure whatsoever at that location downtown because we were parked next to a school and the um, state law had set out that you cannot have a cannabis establishment within 300 feet of a school. So basically we wanted to outfit this building that we had downtown. We actually had it outfitted uh, 800 square foot side part for our um, cannabis manufacturing lab. So we didn't have to do it out of that Seco spice location over there. Uh, 30, 35 minutes east. And so basically we were trying to get out of there. So we put the whole nice, um, I guess like the food grade floors and walls and roofs and everything. And we food graded the heck out of that room and made it perfect for CBD manufacturing. And so that was already part of the, the build out. So we knew that manufacturing room was there and we were confident in it basically. And we wanted to obviously get into the manufacturing, the cannabis products. And then we had still some more unused rooms in the back that we wanted to try to squeeze in a dispensary. So basically we wanted both licenses of manufacturing and um, retail. So oh, <laughs> that's where they, uh, the CCD had said, well, we need to go figure it out with the city of Las Cruces and then get back to them. And uh, basically, yeah. boom. So CCD is on pause for a good nine months as we go through this whole shebang. And we start with the city. They say the only way to, um, try to get around the, there is a way technically around the, um, the ordinance. Yes. The ordinance, if, which is called a variance process, if you can prove, um, pretty much like an economic hardship, they had some inclusion criteria for that. So basically if you can prove X, Y, and Z things, um, ec uh, potential to spurt job growth and there's one more, I'm sorry. Um, uh, but basically if you could prove those things, then, um, you could be potentially selected to, or voted to get this variance appeal, which would allow you to operate your business accordingly. So that variance exists for whatever zoning rule it is. It's not just cannabis. So yeah. like, exactly. So basically our situation was specific to cannabis. And so we submitted the variance appeal. They said, okay, we have until like January 21st of last year or something to get in whatever packet the city needed to even be able to get on their agenda for like April. So we got all that taken care of, submitted, and then we get into April and all of a sudden um, the city calls us and they're like, well, you need to come pick up the sign to notify the public of the 
the appeal that you're trying to do because it's a, obviously a like city thing. Yeah. And so we put out our sign and everything. And yeah, a couple of days later, that sign gets posted on like the Las Cruces community watch page. <laughs> pretty much. We, I mean, the rest from there is truly history, but like, yes, um, we got to see like a fun, uh, interesting angle of how cannabis was going to be received. I mean, just in general by a different part of, I think Las Cruces population, because I mean, I, I don't know if people were per, particularly one way or another and kind of hush hush about it, but I feel like people really started to take a side here because we were parked next to a school. Somebody made a note that um, this was pretty much going to be dangerous against like every other particular regard. And I, we could quote it or something, but to whatever fashion of it's bad for the kids. Uh, it's what about it's, the children? Yeah, like against yeah. religion and everything. So basically it was a, it was a, very it was a war cry for some people and yeah. for us we were like whoo okay and so we noticed like i mean some in those comments of literally that post just people that were one way or another and um it i guess to us it just spurred that attention of okay this is an interesting thing and basically we prepared our appeal um to go uh, up against the planning and zoning committee who would initially hear that variance request and it was like the day the appeal happened all of a sudden we have like like three news stations in there and in the pharmacy like trying to interview us before the thing and for the appeal that night and all of a sudden like just turned into this huge hype thing and we were like all of a sudden like feuding against the school and there's like one and there's the other and it was like <laughs> us versus them and it was just crazy the way like this thing cooked up into a thing and like personally like like me and the staff at the school, we have never had any particular issues or anything like that. I think we've had a pretty generally respectful relationship as neighbors and business neighbors this entire time. And like, and they felt the same way. Yeah. And I mean, really, it was just, uh, it was just crazy the way it got completely pitted against each other that day for the appeal. And so all of a sudden, like my adrenaline's kicking in and like everything's obviously just like kind of everybody's all stirred up. And so we're, we go into the appeal and we had hired somebody to come and and speak on behalf of us. And I mean, basically that appeal did not go so well. And the community spurt that happened um, generating from that Facebook post actually worked against us. And we lost the um, initial variance appeal to the planning and zoning committee. So regardless of the fact that my adrenaline was hyped up and I'm like sitting there wetting and drenched in sweat for four hours the entire time i mean we were slapped with the vietnam argument and this stuff's way stronger than it used to be and <laughs> the let's you know bring all our kids up to the podium and say you're killing these people argument and it was a crazy appeal to emotion and they emotionally appealed that room and the planning and zoning committee did not vote in favor of that but like you, I mean, it's all public record. You can literally go back and watch what happened that it's night. On YouTube. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> I don't have to go through it all, but it was just, it was a fiasco. And it was, I mean, frustrating, embarrassing, all those things on top of it all, right? So we lose, and basically we find out that um, you can appeal it, right? So there's still more appeals. So that's when we're like, all right, okay, let's try to formulate a new appeal and go from there. So that's from our, I guess, just from the experience that we were trying to draw from at this point, we realized we kind of had to take it upon our own hands in terms of devising the 
strategy to kind of win over now city hall or the city council who the appeal was going to get escalated to. And so, I mean, from there, that's when um, we started really pushing about basically we were trying to work within our own niche of supporters um, who there, because before the appeal, we were hyped for the April appeal. We were trying to put some hype to it and kind of bring some people there and call some people there. But I don't, I think, I mean, I felt like, looking back like that was a half-assed job for sure excuse my language but basically yeah that that initial one we deserve to lose so that's fine and we figured that out we lost so we like at least at that point we were able to you know let's get some surveys out there for all our entire people that we've served like we at this point have been existing as Messiah valley pharmacy for like a little over a year we had a pretty hot little time there because covid vaccines we're obviously just a, such a huge need for the entire community that yeah. we got to have a lot of face-to-faces with people and meet a lot of new people and get a lot of new, like at least lead prospect kind of patients there. And so we're really trying to tap into the people that we already knew um, from that, which was a group of under 10,000 people. It was like right about 10,000. But I mean, that's where we were looking. We are like, okay, if we can win over somehow some group within this 10% of the town that we've already talked to that know us, like perhaps we can, come into city hall and per- persuade these guys to see kind of the other side of what we were trying to do. So yeah. basically we were, I mean, you can go watch that part on YouTube and the whole deal for the resolution in September for um, us ending up as the first uh, retail pharmacy in the country to be next uh, to have a cannabis dispensary on top of being sharing a wall with the school, which is still separated by like one foot gap, by the way, but still (laughs) (laughs) it was basically, I mean, the 300 foot, that was the, that was the, uh, that was the, the black and white for the initial planning and zoning committee, you know, 300 feet was law established for X reason. And so we had to find, I know pretty much every way to convince that, that it wasn't. So we eventually um, you know, we had some of our patients, some of our stronger patient advocates that showed up and showed out for us at the uh, planning and zone or at the city council hearing in September. That was five months later. We had, I think, over like 200 surveys and 200 letters to each city council member signed from our people. And we just turned them all in. And we I think in that time, like there was a cool little, I guess, a uh, it was a flower childlike energy that we could see awakening with some of the subsets of our patients. So I thought that was like a special nice. little thing to kind of notice and, and or tap into. So we um, go to city hall, um, Trey, our CFO and one of our partners, he's a pharmacist downtown, but um, busy guy, definitely. He went and did the actual appeal to city hall. So he's the guy that was talking um, the white coat warrior that day. And so he, um, he represented us as us in a very, uh, I think very good manner. And for those of you who haven't seen it, please go watch that, um, appeal video and everything like that. But we had like, we had probably, I mean, at least five or 10 patients who we really were hoping that we're going to come and, and be able to talk on behalf of us, um, and have some nice, you know, good arguments to say, because we had people that we were, you know, just dealing with by the nature of us and they had seen what we were going through. So we're sitting there on like, I mean, we're just sitting there doing our regular business, filling scripts and stuff for people. And 
if they were more in tune to like talking about the appeal or had a really good opinion on it, it was like, all right, who's this person? Let's write them down. (laughs) They, they've got a good voice. They like, let's, we need to get people like that there so they can advocate for what's going on because there's just, yeah, that's the problem we are trying to address and trying to um, just show in a different light rather than cannabis next to a school and kids being, sold cannabis and or given cannabis in the parking lot. Yeah. And so, I mean, for us, we are a retail pharmacy. We, on any given day, um, dispense a schedule two through five controlled substances, anywhere from Adderall to fentanyl to oxycodone, morphine, hydromorphone, all the good stuff, right? Which is, yeah, not as good. And so basically no kids are getting that on any other given day in our parking lot. And that was a big part of our argument. Um, we felt like particularly, you know, I mean, even you could say like where the buildings were with each other, the front door of the school to the front door of the uh, actual dispensary was, it was pushing 300 feet. I don't remember what the number was, but you know, it wasn't, a, it was a 300 foot walk. And anyways, so we, we also the, like the big variance thing for us, like it was an economic hardship. Like the planning and zoning guys, I think initially were like, well, you guys just picked the wrong spot. And that was the point we didn't, I don't think we conveyed at all in the first meeting at first was the spot where we were lucky. Like the, yeah. we were blessed and lucky. And like, we had people that had seen us eating some complete crap that like tried to help basically. And that's what it took. Like it wasn't some sort of like anything like that. Like, so basically, yeah, I mean, that's, where that economic hardship was like if you probably have i'm sure you probably touched and talked about this with multiple operators and multiple people in the industry and everything that how many properties are being bought up and leased by cannabis companies that are still waiting to even get zoned up and ready to go like properties are being scooped up all over the place like it's more expensive to build than it is to lease like yeah i mean exactly so you're already the market's already getting swiped everywhere because everything's getting picked up and there's nowhere else to pick. So we have one location that was ours with just a place that we just need to get right there, just put the license in there. We yeah. can't spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to get another place to renovate it. We can't create, recreate and see about pharmacy and do this thing. It doesn't exist by itself. One cannot exist without the other. Like they have to be together. Like there's only way, one way that's going to happen. And if we like, if we didn't achieve it in that particular amount of time, it just, it didn't feel as special as we could say that we we're sitting here now, like um, satisfied, like to at least be at that point. I mean, when we're looking for a break, but basically like, yeah, like we made it to city hall. We got the appeal with economic hardship and we were hope. And we also had put in a deal about spurring jobs. And in the, we opened the dispensary softly like late November, early December. And since then, I mean, just to even keep that flow and the flow that's kind of been coming up since that point. Um, I mean, we've already opened up a lot of jobs. Yeah. So that's kind of crazy to see how that works. Um, it's cool to be able to give back to the community in terms of both like at least giving jobs back to people that are obviously back here, taking care of the community, staying here, living here, giving back in good ways, have families. And so those are very important things to us. And it happened that way. So, I mean, Basically, I think we were, I think we argued on the two of the three factors and we were able to show that the, obviously out of those two of the three factors, plus the fact that 
I, I would say we are the possible safest drug keepers that could have actually had that argument. Like there was not a precedence to be set that if you granted us this, this, uh, yeah, variance next to the school, then, you know, it's not like somebody can come in there and just easily claim like a Roe v. Wade, this is that, that's the precedence or something. Yeah. So it was cool to finally like, yeah, convince our unique situation to the city council and to go through all of that. I think it makes that story. And in terms of the Crassy Logic podcast and everything, like I think hopefully, you know, hopefully you guys get that part from us. Like if you go and look at pharmacy, Valley pharmacy stuff, and you actually are like going on that chain of things, like, you will get it, I think, a little bit better as to why this podcast exists and why I'm happy to be talking to Chad. And like, so we're talking about basically now we have a dispensary. It was cool to be able to be the first ones to get there, but all right, cool. It's not, that's just the start. And so like actually like out there boots on the ground part is the cool, like even the crazier part, because obviously in a pharmacy, we are treating sick people. I mean, we're treating, you know, patients who have health conditions of all kinds and um, so we're seeing the different angles. And so I would say, I mean, the numbers are general, but on a general, like in a general number, about 50% of the U.S. population has tried cannabis in their life. So that's 50% of people who have never tried it. So even if you break it down to Las Cruces, right, that's 50,000 people at any given time who probably haven't tried it and or yeah, right. So I mean, if you are a cannabis heavier user or a more experienced cannabis user, you probably are more likely not going to be like at my store buying cannabis. Like, I, I mean, if you needed a medical question in a particular, you can always call, but, you know, it may not be like the place that you feel like is the best for you, like where you're going to get a billion different options and and all that kind of stuff. It's a, ours is a tailored personalized experience for, for people that are looking for obviously solutions to like their health needs and wellness needs. So yeah. like we hope to give that time and that value there. And I mean, just kind of create that different space for ourselves where I think there's just, that's in the cannabis industry. There's a lot of free open water there. So for all of you guys, I want everybody to know that, like, please go take care of all the people who are cannabis confused and cannabis curious, because there are so many people out there in the state and the country that, yeah, exactly, are in that part. They may or may not have heard it. They may or may not have tried it before they had kids 40 years ago and the boomers now and all these things. And it creates that um, a lot of questions. I mean, you want, you want to find somebody reputable that you can trust and stuff like that. And for other, I mean, for other cannabis operators or anybody like that, I know so many people in the cannabis industry is bleeding with empathy and people understand people very well here. So I'm just from the healthcare side, I guess that's just my, I guess, little perspective in niche because it's a point, it's a weird bubble where doctors are halfway scared to talk about it halfway, just, just as cannabis confused and cannabis curious as that 50% of the population who's never tried it. Cause I guarantee you most of those doctors who made it to that point probably have never tried cannabis. Like, I mean, they're type A kind of people and they are, have been doing things by the book their entire life. And this one is a, this one's a new book. So basically we get people showing up, you know, with all kinds of unique use cases, whether it's cancer, whether it's PTSD or back pain or spinal stenosis and, 
all kinds of you name it. It's like they are, you know, there are people that are just sick of being on every pill, that are sick of not having an option, that just want to find a glimmer of hope somewhere in something with, you know, cannabis may or may not be that for them. And so like, those are the kinds of people that we do get. And to some degree, that is, that is a lot of our population. So I, I mean, it's cool because there's so much cannabis and medicine meat on the bone there that um, I think is just overlooked a lot. And yeah. I know it started as medicinal cannabis and yeah. you did that for 10 years. So yeah. obviously you can give me so much more context of that. I just, it's crazy to see it from like a healthcare facility operation kind of wise. Cause once you're out there as a community pharmacist, like, I mean, when it's COVID season or cold and flu season, you know, everybody's in there asking you about COVID. Everybody's in there asking you about their coughing and sneezing. Like, so cannabis is just another thing where it's like, okay, this is, this might be its little thing for a while where it's like people are, buzzing on this thing and like we got to generate like a good value add back into that as the pharmacy because i mean yeah we have i've been doing like cannabis consultations as a pharmacist from um every day from like 10 to 11 and so we block out time to try to actually give people like a good, good medication review yeah. so people come in there and they may think like i can't take this medicine and cannabis or can i take this medicine and cannabis safely or that's going to be a question I was going to have, you know, because that's really important because there is some adverse effects when it comes to the certain, you know, compounds and stuff. So that's good. Yes, exactly. So basically, I mean, there's certain drugs like blood thinners. Warfarin is a huge one. Um, I mean, even ibuprofen can affect the way cannabis is absorbed in the body. Mm -hmm. And it's worth just randomly, at least if you're going to have a little audit on that. Most people don't even have audits on their meds that people that take chronic meds. I'm saying like, I mean, anywhere a couple meds like they probably don't have somebody that's going to sit there and try to give a single plain view of glass audit on that, like in their lives, mainly like if they're, if their caregiver does, it's great. They have a good track on it. But I mean, as pharmacists, we are trained to literally like do, you know, medication reconciliation. We're looking at poly pharmacy, poly providers trying to give you like one good safe lens of, all right, if you're using X, Y, and Z doctors for pain, X, Y, and Z doctor for sleep, X, Y, and Z doctor for internal medicine, and maybe there's some drugs that kind of overlap there and you want to use cannabis. Like what is the real problem going on here? So we will just have open conversations with people, um, open-ended questions. We're just interview style, like just making sure that we cover all the grounds. Like I've had multiple times where cannabis is not even an option coming out of the room with patients. And it's odd that that becomes sometimes a situation, but I mean, those will be realities of it. I would just be like, yeah, I would, prefer you wait until after your surgery, like anesthesia and cannabis. I mean, you probably guys probably heard this, but obviously like, right. You don't want to do it a couple of days before your surgery. It can affect the way that anesthesia goes into your body. I mean, who would want to have surgery and not be under or have yeah. one of those effects. So yeah, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd rather be, you know, probably better to just be off your, your cannabis for a couple of days and stuff like that. So making sure we get all the people safely taken care of and accommodated for that are in those realms of life. Um, I think that's that's there's just so much there. We're we've got a patient right now who's in a skilled facility. Um, they can keep the CBD gummies in the facility. They can't do the THC gummies in the facility. We're actually packing the gummies in a dose pack unit pack. So it's like a unit dose pack. Basically, we put the gummies in a pack. We're labeling it with you know, take this one. This is your twelve o'clock dose. This is your three o'clock dose, and they are on that schedule. And we're just trying oh. to work with. I don't know, his, he's got a provider there from, 
I think the Verde's foundation okay. and we're trying to sit there and just do dose adjustments and, and figure out how to treat, uh, you know, adult autism. And it's just, there's so much there and there's people with cancer pain, nausea and vomiting associated with chemo and, you know, HIV and AIDS and all kinds of stuff where, uh, synthetic cannabis, such as dronabinol, like Marinol, the pill or, um, Epidiolex for CBD synthetic. Um, those are FDA approved for the, like certain conditions. And so granted cannabis, the non-synthetic version is what's recreational and medically approved here. There's, I mean, so much to explore. And I think at least people should, especially when it comes to hospice or end of life care, like people should have their options. People shouldn't have to hide and families shouldn't have to be uncomfortable when it comes to that sort of use or providers. drama and everything during that time. It's a really horrible time. It's a grieving time. You shouldn't have to worry about a lot of things. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, if you are institutionalized and yeah, I mean, your access to medicine is being limited just by like pretty much federal law. It's frustrating because there are providers out there like us that are sitting there battling every single, trying to figure out every single little workaround just to get you taken care of. And we'll do that until we, till it's not a thing anymore. Like yeah. it's just a thing. It's just, we need more people on the cause for sure. Yeah. I mean, Especially you guys knocked down the first wall, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot there. <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, you guys really, you know, just, knock down that first initial wall that needed to come down, you know, more people will follow. Um, and I'm sure, I'm not sure when or how long that's going to take, but I know they will. And, you know, maybe people watching the podcast or someone will notice this and say, you know what, I'm gonna do the same thing, especially here in New Mexico, yes. you know, because obviously it's something you can do. You know, I went to the dispensary yesterday and um, I picked up some cannabis and it was, you know, really flavorful actually. And I actually really enjoyed it. Um, and actually got like five bucks off or something. So I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> cool. I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad it worked out. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, um, while we go on, you know, you got to tell us the whole history of everything and, and, you know, it took a while, but I feel like it was important because we get a different perspective. You know, you don't really get the pharmacist perspective every day in the cannabis world, you know, and if you live in Cruces, you know, you can go down and talk to them and get that. But if you live somewhere else or some other state or something, you don't get that all the time. You know, you just get from what, studies we found, you know, uh, what doctor you may have spoke to or what doctor hated cannabis or whatever, but you know, someone who works with, with it hand in hand, I mean, that, that's pretty beneficial, especially when it comes to, you know, research too, you know, in cannabis, cause you know, you went to UNM and you know, they're doing a bunch of cool stuff up there, you know, when it comes to cannabis and studies. They are. And, yeah. um, I, I hope to see it open up more. I hope to see them get more funding. Um, basically on our own end, we're trying to figure out how to accumulate and create our data and just get it in a better place for, I mean, good data use in terms of organizing where things go and how that all works. Um, in terms of collaboration, I, I would hope that New Mexico State University, um, Mountain View Memorial, like some of these hospitals that are big time health institutions in these towns, in this town, I mean, even the Burrell College um, could be, you know, showing a little bit more interest. You've got young providers that are all working in these institutions. Um, not only young, but, you know, even your more veteran providers that really do need that education because it starts from the top down how, I mean, we need all of our entire community to be able to go to their doctor and their doctor be able to confidently understand what's going on in their medical history when it comes to cannabis or their current medical statuses. Um, and I would say most doctors, obviously they do. I would just say like, I think we can obviously all increase our our levels of education. I mean, life is a learning process. We're never stopping learning 
pharmacists, doctors. We do CEs every single year. You just got to renew the continuing education. You got to continue to educate yourself. So cannabis is a new thing. So that's basically, I mean, my soapbox. It's like find a way to educate yourself. If you don't know, come on down, ask us. We'll, we'll get you connected. Nice. And well, well, speaking about you guys, you know, you said you're going to not carry like an almost unlimited amount of like different kind of cultivars of you know, flower. What do you guys currently have right now? So currently, I think the flower that uh, the flower that we do have is from Dawn Verde Farm. So I definitely want to give those guys a shout out um, for sure. Yeah. Um, so I think those are the str- uh, I think indica and sativa. I don't know the strains off the top of my head, unfortunately. And then we've got our product line of we're doing gummies, tinctures, and topical. Um, so we've got those, and then we've got extracts pretty much that are we are using with um i think we've got a couple different providers right now on our extracts um we did like the farmer's quality as far as um, just where they're <laughs> right exactly yeah. so we like kind of them and and um where the brand uh does look good there in the shop and that it, it does seem to vet some some good experience and everything like that i've never talked to operators before so i guess i can't sit there and say that I personally know anybody, but they've done a good job and I, I stand behind their products being on our store. So yeah. other than that, like that's fine. And yeah. basically, yeah. So we've got, I mean, our extract offerings, our flower offerings, we do our pre-roll manufacturing in there in house and then the pretty much the edibles topicals. And so um, I think right now, like our biggest um, probably mover is like our, our gummies. Um, and that's basically with our cannabis naive and cannabis curious <laughs> population. Like most of our people are, I mean, you, I break it down in another way too. Like I almost feel like you either smoke or you don't when it comes to cannabis. Like yeah. if, you, if you like to smoke, you're going to like to smoke. Like yeah. I don't think edibles just do it quite the justice for some or for most that already prefer the inhaled and or not. But maybe some people are seasonal and have different flavors at different times. But I mean, Correct. So if you're cannabis confused and cannabis curious, you probably assume that those people probably do not smoke. Yeah, so that's exactly. where the gummies are just like, yeah, working for us now. But yeah, I mean, take care of all those people. I mean, if you see those people that are confused or curious and maybe, you know, naive or not just understanding, like, you know, it's worth asking. It's worth drawing that curiosity out of, you know, your, your friends, your family members. If it's been so taboo for such a long period of time that it's just awkward to act and talk about, just break the ice. Yeah. I think it's worth it. Yeah, I do too. And, you know, one way to, to break that ice too and to kind of kill the stigma is, you know, talking to them about microdosing. I'm sure you know what microdosing is and all that, you know, coming from the field that you're in. I mean, microdosing, you know, is beneficial to a lot of people, especially people new starting out because you're not smoking very much at all. You know, you're just getting that med- your benefit. And I'm sure you can talk more about that. Well, I mean, I'd be curious to talk about your perspective on that too. So from the way I, s- I don't have a true like personal inherent definition of microdosing, but we do coach up our patients in terms of everything and our customers start with dosing to start low and go slow, especially like finding your dose is one of the key things in terms of, right, your cannabis education and how you're going to treat yourself. I mean, a lot of, especially for cannabis curious, or cannabis naive, nobody wants to go too far on the other side of yeah. most things. And if you are going to find out if you're too far, you're going to have a backup. Are you going to have some CBD on the back end? Are you going to have a tincture mm-hmm. or just some CBD product to mitigate the effects and attenuate the effects of the THC? But the data on the THC basically is anywhere above 2.5 milligrams of THC can technically induce a, a high. So, yeah. I mean, as you talk about microdose, right, you're trying to ideally shoot for less than 2.5 milligrams of THC and or um, 
maybe for some people's body weight ratio, they can take it up a little bit, but that's like at least a good starting point. Cause it's like, you know, at least data has shown 2.5 milligrams can make me feel high. That could be equivalent to one puff of a joint or a quarter of a 10 milligram edible. Right. So basically you need to just gauge where that gets you. Um, are you getting your symptom control that you're looking for in terms of if it's a medicine for you? Um, and then go from there and don't be afraid or don't be stingy about taking the dose up because some people are really, really, really in tune. It's like, okay, you told them 2.5 and they go to like 3.0 and they're like, okay, it's not working for me. I'm done. <laughs> and you're like, all right, well, we got, you got still got a lot of dosing there. And yeah, I, I guess I try to give the safety perspective of you've really got 10 to 15 milligrams per kilogram of body weight dosing that when you're looking at uh, the FDA dosing of like uh, dronabinol and epidiolex, basically 10 to 15 milligrams per kilogram. If I'm a hundred kilogram guy, I could like safely take a thousand milligrams, right? Like per dose. So when people are starting at the 2.5 milligram end, and I mean, you could safely be cranking it all the way up there. You've got a lot of room to work up basically is my point. So don't be afraid to, to kick it on. But at the same time, it's not like, oh, this is like, this party time. Let's just go ahead and do whatever we're going to do. Like we're starting low and going slow. And if you're cannabis curious or cannabis confused, like, I mean, have a journal, log it, log how it made you feel, how much you took, what time, right. For I'm sure cannabis veterans, I mean, for myself, right. Like it's, I personally have not needed to do that over my life, but you know, I would coach people to do that. If some people are monitoring their blood pressure and they're out of control, you know, you got to break it all the way back down to journaling and get your blood pressure knowing so the doctor can know what, what you've been running at different times of day. Like you just got to start collecting more data and <laughs> just data figuring it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So basically that's what, I mean, we are one person at a time, one, you know, disease state, um, one chief complaint at a time, but we've set up at least a little process to, to figure some things out with people. And either way, I think, you know, pharmacists as a community healthcare access, and especially with the community of New Mexico, we already have a doctor shortage and, you know, some bad health disparities as a whole that, you know, it's, it's a place where we, we are planning to remain to be for a while. And we yeah. hope to recruit more people, you know, the water, come on in, the water's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, the city's not burning down y'all. You know, the, the school's not, you know, burning down either next to Norderville. And for us being so close to like Texas and stuff, it's yeah. interesting because, you know, people are, people can have dispensaries and you can be making hand over fist money without probably even hitting a lot of locals. Yeah. And then, I mean, there's just all kinds of different ways to do it. But even with those Texas people, take care of them. You know, they're going back. They may or may not be a little cannabis confused or cannabis curious, like spread that knowledge, spread the, you know, knowledge power. And I mean, in terms of what cannabis I think means to most people in the grassy logic podcast and the cannabis industry, like we see it as a very positive thing for the world. And I mean, just got to keep chipping away at the stigma. <laughs> yeah, I agree in hundred percent. You know, and thank you for that perspective that you gave, you know, with the microdosing and everything, you kind of broke it down a little bit more than anybody really has ever told us. Cause it's like just microdose, you just do this and this, but you gave it more of a scientific breakdown. You know, you, you quoted the studies and everything, 2.5 milligrams, anything higher than that kind of induces a high. And you know, that's probably good information for people listening. You know, that, that's like sure. new information, you know, especially for me, you know, I didn't know, you know, that study in particular about the 2.5 milligrams and above. So, I mean, someone else listening might, you know, that might help them too. Like, oh, okay, well, you know, this five milligram gummy, I'm just going to cut it in half, you know, and you know, let's see how that makes me feel. So, you know, that's something to keep in mind. And if you guys have questions, you know, you can always, you know, hit them up and they'll 
I'm sure help you out, you know, phenomenally because you know I'm learning a lot today. <laughs> Just sitting right. here, I, and I, that's I, why jabber, or yeah, jabber here. It's yeah, like no, it's fine, and you know what? And it's 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 cool because I wanted everybody to have the education. That's what this show is about, and you know, you guys are playing an important role because you are the first one in the nation to do this. So you know, it's kind of like giving people like, well, this is how you do it. This is how we did it, and maybe someone else will come behind you very shortly. Exactly. Like it, it's not a big, perfect institutionalized process. We are a group of guys just trying to figure stuff and girls trying to figure stuff out. And I mean, we're doing the best that we can. There, yeah. There's whatever else spurs from there. Like, like everybody keep keep doing good things because I mean, right? Like. The big war is the war on opiates. It's like the war on diabetes, the war on stress, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. let's get <laughs> obesity out of the way. Obesity, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, so, I mean, I think um, in terms of all that, like, cannabis is a nice little uh, connector for a lot of that. And that's the that's the good value that the industry really is should be tapping into all the way. I sure. agree, hundred percent. And before we move on to everything else, this is going to be a long episode, guys. You know, but I'll try to get everything else quick because I want everybody updated. Do you guys offer a veteran discount? Yes, actually, indeed, we do. And thank you for bringing that up before um, the podcast. And we just wanted to make sure that we took care of that properly. So, yes, 20% blanket discount for vets. Um, if you do have a medical card, you won't be paying tax. So please take that in mind. And also the other discount that we do have, um, we have daily deals. So if you shop on our online store, you'll be able to see our daily deals. Um, but definitely for pediatrics with autism or autistic patients, we are, we are aligned with the whole plant for access Autism, DLWPA4HA, something like that. But basically, if you Google it and whole plant for access, autism access, anyways, 50% off for um, autistic, autistic cannabis patients treating autism. So um, on everything. So if you guys know those people and you're looking for that um, service, then please at least know that we will um, definitely compensate that price and everything like that. And on top of that, highly encourage if anybody else in the state of New Mexico is an operator and they're not, you know, catering to specific subsets of patients that may or may not be physically disabled or stuff like that. Like there's a, a lot of good places to have deals so that people can have more access to their, their cannabis. Um, we've had people already like providers from all the way from Florida that were asking about particular blends about THCA and all kinds of stuff. And I mean, there's only so far we can go within the realm of all the legal processes and everything, but yeah. it's crazy to see how many, like, I mean, because right, like you can get really personalized and there's over 200. It's like, think of Sonic, right? Like how many flavors at Sonic? <laughs> I mean, just in some sort of like perspective, like how many different combinations and you've got 200 different phytocannabinoids there. And then you've got all kinds of every other medicine ever, plus every like food and disease state to cross examine it against. Like there's just a lot going on. I mean. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, and you know, I appreciate that. And the explanations just keep coming out. You know, you're just a, you know, you have a lot of knowledge. You're just willing to share that with people, and that's great. Because some people just like, yeah, that's cool, and then they don't really want to share what they know. And it's great that you're willing to do that. Um, so yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you again for joining me today. Um, we're just going to move on to the, the rest of the podcast. I'll shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to shut up. But we're going to move on to the rest of the podcast. Thank you so much for you know the history and everything and just, you know, informing the, you know, the public even more. And it's great. So, um, Joaquin Acosta, everybody, thank you again. Do excuse me, Dr. Joaquin Acosta. Yes. <laughs> Do Dr. Quiet from the next. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, we're going to move on to the, to the next topic. So I'm going to try to blaze this guys. I just want everybody kind of updated what's going on. This first one I actually found out this morning. So it looks like the CCD or the cannabis control division, they're going to be pr promoting small businesses in the state when it comes to cannabis. 
And so I find that to be really great that they're doing that. You know, that's something that you don't really hear any state really doing, you know, promoting the small businesses, especially when it comes to cannabis. You know, and um, the way that they're going to do that is going to have a one of its kind logo that you're going to be able to put on your products for the micro business. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. And so it's to me, it kind of reminds me of uh, the New Mexico true thing where, you know, with the green chili, like, you know, this is actually grown in New Mexico, kind of like that label. I kind of feel it's going to be like that. They're calling it the NM Microbiz uh, logo. And I guess it's going to help consumers identify, you know, who is a small businesses versus the you know bigger like Swazi you know, which is arguing if you guys don't know, um, it's going to be able to, you know, to define those. Now, if they do it right, you know, they'll be able to help the small businesses. But if something goes wrong, then the bigger businesses will be able to get that logo somehow, I'm sure. So hopefully they do it right. That way people won't lose trust in the system because <laughs> we know someone's going to do it. I would, I guess I could see it hopefully spurring economy because maybe bigger businesses want to carry products that have that logo on it. Yeah, maybe, you know, like, hey, you know, like, I want your product in my store. You're a small business. That you know, that's a good good way to put it. I didn't even think of that. You know, and that might be a better way to promote the smaller businesses to the bigger businesses. You know, so yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, if you guys are a small business, a micro business, and you are curious if you qualify for this or if you want it, uh, the contact would be Autumn Marquez, and her email is autumn.marquez at rld.nm.gov, and her last name is M A R Q U E Z for those who have you know a problem spelling you know Spanish last names. Um, so yeah, they're going to verify your status. And from there you can figure everything out. I just wanted to give you guys the information on that. Uh, I think it's something great for the industry. Um, it's something small, but I think it's something that in the long run will be, you know, beneficial, especially for the reason that, you know, you brought up, which is, you know, really great. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, so moving on again, you know, that's pretty much all that was, I just wanted to get the information out. So if you guys wanted to apply for that, you could, uh, it looks like the department of justice is uh, supporting us sentencing commission proposal. Pretty much. They want judges to have the option to not give people bare minimums because on a federal level, there's a bare minimum that they have to give you. And I think it's 10 years. Um, so if you get a federal charge, I think it's at a certain amount. Uh, they have to give you. They have no choice but to give you that bare minimum. And they kind of want to promote to the judges like, all right, you know, we don't want you to do the bare minimums. Kind of go base by base. You know, this is only for possession. It's not for selling. So if you guys are selling, then you're still kind of screwed as usual. Um, so it's good because that is progress on the federal side because they were stating that they wanted to kind of match what president biden had said you know with the whole um decriminalization thing um well letting people out of jail and prison who are have the charge just for possession even though there's there's nobody right now um so that's good to see and good to hear i mean uh, what are your kind of thoughts on that um i guess it's a step in the right direction right i mean ideally we need decriminalization and descheduling um but we're getting there and yeah yeah i mean might as well let's not incarcerate people by any means for things. Yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. Stupid things like that. And I agree, we need to deschedule, you know, and instead of just like reschedule. Because um, if you deschedule, then, you know, it's, it's going to be easier for the market to kind of thrive, especially the way that the states have been doing it. If we go with a different model, then a bunch of people are just going to end up losing their money and the industry is just going to tank, you know, altogether. So, yeah, we got to do it right. So, moving on from that, guys, yeah, some of these are short. I just wanted to get the information out. I knew these parts were going to be short. Um, so the New Mexico sales looks like last month our sales were up to $40.1 million. Um, so it's a little bit higher than it was in January. December and January, we saw kind of a, a lower amount of sales. But, I mean, it was the holidays. People spent a lot of their money on presents and stuff, sure. as they usually do. So, yeah, everything was tapped out. So now people are starting to get the funds back. You're hitting the tax refund season. So, you know, now people have a little bit more money to spend. And it looks like um, almost 13, almost $14 million of that came from the medical side. And the rest of it, 27 million, you know, a little bit, you know, about 27 and a half million 
came from the rec side. If you guys don't know, New Mexico medical cannabis is not taxed, only rec cannabis is taxed. So only you know 27.6 million of that is going to go to the state for taxable. But um, in New Mexico, it's actually law that if it's a medicine, it's not taxed. It's like they actually went to like a you know state court for that, and they actually ruled that yeah, you can't tax cannabis in New Mexico. And we don't know what to tell you. So that's good. You know, it's good to see that the sales are still up. We're kind of sitting here at this little little table. You know, we're up a little bit this month, but you know, we we haven't gone you know tank down. So that's good. Um, Texas is probably the reason that's helping us. <laughs> Thank you, Texas. <laughs> Thank y'all. <laughs> I'd be a little boot dance for y'all tonight. <laughs> so how many like Texas, you know, how many, well, patients, I guess you can call them too. How many Texas customers do you guys really get on a daily basis? Weird. Um, they're few and far between. Probably if they um, are there like on the farmer's market during the weekend and you just end up downtown and you're looking for a place to go, we may pick up some of that traffic. But yeah. Um, not a whole lot of people going this deep into downtown Las Cruces to a pharmacy for cannabis, but I mean, you know, I come on down. We hope to make it a cool place for somebody to want to see yeah. at the very least. But. Yeah, no, I thought it was really cool. I walked in, you know, the shop's still kind of being put together, you yeah. know, and, yeah, you know, it's, it's still getting there. <laughs> yes. Uh, April 15th is our, uh, grand opening for the dispensary ah, yes. officially. So it's been very softly open. And basically as he alluded to there, we are putting in some, big time efforts to try to make it like a very worthy grand opening in store to walk into rather than just a kind of uh, just not a dingy storefront for us by any means, but just like the effort's got to be there. Like if you, you're going to sell something, you got to sell it. Like, yeah, exactly. just, that's how it has to be. Yeah, exactly. And I, I really like the, the setup of just the pharmacy itself. You walk in and you have like the shelves of the regular stuff, you know, the, the over the counter medication too, as long with, you know, as well as snacks. And then you have the drinks along the wall. So it kind of gives you that, feel like you're not picking up medicine like okay i kind of feel like i'm in a cool gas station you know like something a little more relaxing you know because when you go to a pharmacy you don't feel great you're like oh man i don't want to be here but you go in there and you're like okay this isn't bad you know you see all the friendly faces and you see the door over there in the hall you know with the you know the cannabis you're, you're i forget what the door says does it say cannabis it says dispensary on dispensary that's what it says it says dispensary on the door and you see that and you're like okay this is cool it just has a total different vibe that you've really seen in a pharmacy ever or that i've ever seen too um, and, and I've seen a few, even, you know, federal government ones on the army side, those aren't fun, but, uh, it's great to see that. And, and you guys, your posts on social media are great too. You know, like you even promote the plan B pill, you know, and I feel that's kind of important for, you know, certain people when it comes to, you know, your health and, you know, sexual reproductive, you should have that choice. And, you know, you guys are really promoting that. Like, no, if you guys, if that happens yeah, we have it, you know, come get it. So, you know, it's and good to see that. That's, and that's truly our, I think at least. For us to be less political about it, I think in terms of just whatever healthcare purposes that we serve, healthcare access is already a huge problem. And I think yeah. leaning into the fact that we can just provide that is great. I know Walgreens just withdrew out of California actually because of an issue just because of that. And yeah. um, it's just interesting to see that. So, I mean, you know, they can do whatever they're going to do, but, you know, New Mexico has created a nice progressive environment for pharmacy to thrive in, in that sense. So we'll use that to the wherever we can like it, yeah. um we have pres i have prescriptive authority to prescribe birth control prescriptive authority to give vaccines um tobacco cessation and so basically we can truly actually like help with those without you having to go directly to the doctor and yeah. make appointments and do all kinds of stuff so you know people that have a one-off birth control appointment where you know you've been on stuff where you can you already know what you're on like all kinds of stuff like that is obviously very easy meat on the bone to where you may not need to go for hundreds of dollars to a doctor to yeah. go do all that stuff and then wait for that, especially if you're going to be missing your pills for a couple of days to even be able to get to that point. 
Um, so I think there's a lot of cool niches to be able to offer all of those services auxiliary wise um, that pharmacies do. So yeah, like maybe you probably guys don't know that pharmacists can prescribe birth control in the state of New Mexico. Um, and basically that's because like Walgreens and CVS do not let their pharmacists work to the top of their license. Like uh, literally, okay. <laughs> I mean, sense. because other states don't allow that either. So it's like, how do you make policies for specific states? I mean, I don't see how it's that hard, but you know, they would rather just use all their staff here as like slaves to yeah. just generate back to their C-suites. So and that's something good to know. I had no clue about that. You know, that, that aspect of it, you guys are allowed. And if someone, if one of the listeners are listening and you need that and you want to feel a little more confident, you know, head down to Messiah Valley pharmacy and, you know, they'll take care of you and in a professional manner on top of that too. So that's good to hear. And, you know, it's, it's a little more relieving to go somewhere and it's not like so stressful when you walk in. You know, that's the best way I could put it. It's like not stressful when you walk in. <laughs> Maybe you see my face and you see it stressed, but that's the only person that should be stressed in there. <laughs> and he's stressed for y'all, so it's for a benefit. <laughs> so I, I really appreciate that. You know, before the show, he was really worried that he wasn't going to be able to, you know, uh, add more to the show, but you're adding a lot more than, you know, than you cool. thought initially. So that's great. Thank you. Um, so moving on to the next thing, we're going to talk briefly about the SE Awards. Um, if you guys don't know, New Mexico does have a set of, you know, different award ceremonies for the cannabis industry. Uh, the SEs has been around since I think around 2017 or so. And uh, they've just been really kind of just allowing the industry and the patients to vote. You know, so they go and they have a form. You go online, you vote whoever, what, who is the best dispensary, who's the best bud tender. Um, when I was a part of the New Mexico Medical Pan New Mexico Medical Cannabis Patients Advocacy Alliance, we actually won uh, best advocacy like three times in a row. Oh, cool. um, yeah, through the whole time that we were in advocacy, we won every year. And then you know, we've won awards for other stuff too. But um, that was one of the you know the bragging rights that yeah, you know, I've won an Essie, and uh, we've gone up there had to you know do say thanks and all that good stuff. But yeah, we, we did the Essies, and the reason why it's called the Essies because it's actually named after our one of the first patients or um, actually the first patient in our newest program because we had one in the 70s to the 80s um and her name was um essie de bonnet uh, was her name and uh, i think I've, i always butcher her name i think everybody gets mad at me i think valerie's gonna slap me when she watches this um but yeah she was an elderly advocate patient and she fought really hard to get the first you know program open and they um set this award on over like with her name on it to honor her and every patient that came you know, before us and everything, because, you know, there's a lot of patients that fought hard. I mean, the Lynn and Eric Compassionate Use Act is named after two patients that, you know, really fought hard to get cannabis passed in New Mexico. And so, you know, it's in the the name of the law, you know, it's the spirit is there. So it's great that, you know, we do something like that. Um, the only thing I wish is that they kind of told everybody every year who Essie really was, because they just kind of think it's just the name of the award. Um, honor, but, honor her. Yeah, like, it's just honor her. Yeah, it's like, it's like, who is she? <laughs> So it'd be kind of nice if they did a little historical thing like before the event or something like that just to tell who Essie was. So I think it'd be good because she was an AIDS patient and, you know, she was suffering in the 2000s. You know, she was very vocal back then. Um, so I want to congratulate all the winners is really the reason why I brought this up. You know, so congratulations to all of you who won an Essie award. Um, if you didn't, there's always next year. Uh, this is such a new industry that, you know, some people aren't even up and going yet. So I say it about the next three years, we'll see a, a big change. And, you know, if you didn't win this year, maybe you're going to win the next three years, you know, like we did with the advocacy. So um, that's great to see. Uh, we do have some other uh, award ceremonies in the state. There's the Dink Magazine. They usually do one. I have one of, one of those awards. And then we have the New Mexico Growers Cup here in the South, if you're down in the South, since we're talking about it. Um, that's normally over in Otero County. Um, I'm not too sure where they're going to do it this year. They have a Facebook page and a following and everything. You just look it up, New Mexico Growers Cup. Um, that's pretty much where just licensed folks and then home growers and everybody, they all 
you know, put their products in to compete for the best flour, the best edibles, you know, extract, et cetera, et cetera. And they all get a little, you know, thing at the end for bragging rights. So if that's something that you're into, you want to compete, you know, you want that award to put on your shelf in your dispensary, you know, by all means, you know, these are all um, award ceremonies that you can apply for and, you know, be a part of. And sometimes people just nominate you. You don't even have to nominate yourself. Those are cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and I think that we need to do something more, you know, down here in the South for this. And someone was telling me, so, if, you know, if someone wants to get that going, um, do it. <laughs> So um, what is your, you know, thoughts on this? Anyway? Well, I think, I think that's awesome. And it kind of had spurred uh, many other thought that had branched off too, was um, kind of having just a central, almost as we've talked about data again, but like a central place to see like different dispensaries, um, you know, meal, uh, deal, meal, deal days, um, cross, cross examined against each other. If everybody could like just go to some place and post on, like, I don't know, like a Facebook group or something and like just have it all consolidated there for all your New Mexico local shoppers, right? Like yeah. I know that people have, I've, I've been approached with the idea of, Hey, do you want to come into like a, like a kind of a cohort of like, uh, let's all show our deals together at like different stores in Las Cruces so that everybody knows, like maybe you're particularly shopping for one thing on one day and something that somebody else has that you don't or whatever particular thing. And I just, as that is super cool, like it's cool to know what everybody else has or doesn't have. Like I, I would love to, you know, join the friendly competition in there and, you know, meet people, meet people who care about what they do and stuff like that. So I think that's, that's totally cool. It's easier on both sides because as, as we do our own products, I'd rather align with brands and other people that like actually care about what they do and what goes into that. So, you know, events like that where people can congregate, I think is a, is a great opportunity to find you know, and align with other people in the industry that are like, like-minded for sure. Yeah, definitely. And here at the Ask Chad Grassy Logic podcast, I try to keep, get you guys updated and keep you updated on those kind of events. So, you know, I've talked about the, you know, Southwest Trade Association, um, one that they're having next month. And actually April is going to be a very busy month. I might just start doing posts on my page with all the events going on. Slap it down. So many. It's really, and if you guys have any, send me the, the stuff and I'll post it on mine. Um, but yeah, there's been, it's going to be okay. Sorry. He's probably been doing it the whole time. I'm so unplugged sometimes that I don't know, but I literally, I will put your resource out to our patients too, because it's just, it's worth having. We have a community wall of promoting everybody's business. And I think, I think obviously on the same end of just cannabis specific, I think it's good to promote, you know, other local businesses and kind of collaboration over competition to those, you know, respective regards. I think yeah. there's totally cool room for that. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that I really took when I worked at Apple in my short time working at Apple is we're better together. Yes. You know, and, you know, I agree with that wholeheartedly, you know, as a country and even as an industry, you know, we are better if we work together. And, you know, yes, there is some competition in this, but at the end of the day, it'd be better. Off, we're better off if we work together and try to make this industry what it can be, the potential. Because as I've said several times, we, could be, you know, the poster child when it comes to cannabis regulation because of the way that we've gone about it, you know, and so we can continue that. So anyway, moving on, speaking about laws and stuff, let's get everybody the New Mexico legislative update. And I know you told me that you're not too keen on the legislative stuff and everything, but, you know, I'm sure there's a few things that will affect you, you know, in your business that, you know, you could comment on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just a comment. Comments are completely my own. Like we are not, um, I mean, as far as the law, I this is a fine young angel of a man that can sit there and really advocate for the laws all the time. And I mean, that's my full endorsement on that for sure, because I wish we could like spend time the same in terms of that, but I do advocate. I'm down to 
give my comments and everything for sure as far as like if okay if somebody quotes me for like a put your money where your mouth is kind of thing like i mean we're doing the best that we possibly can yeah, like we yeah. will show the light to anything we possibly yeah. can yeah and sure. i'm no lawyer guys you know so you know i just i do my best too but you know I've, I've been doing this for many years and i've been you know pretty much this is my football season during the legislative season you know i watch the you know the streams and all that so awesome. but um so there is a um a news article that i saw today and it's you know let's so let's unwrap this and the headline was new mexico committee blocks uh cannabis safety legislation so there's a bill in itself and it was uh hb 157 and it was shot down three three and so here in the state if it's a tie it just it loses um so what it was is pretty much just helping the children with the the packaging you know like you know trying to ensure that the kids aren't going to get cannabis um and you know and and just trying to change things in the industry to like, I think it was mostly the packaging is what they're worried about or just to ensure kids aren't going to get it. But one thing that I saw in the lack of in the article is they didn't tell you where the cannabis that these kids are getting from, because in the article they stated that, Oh, these kids are getting it from this school and this school or at the school they're getting this, but they don't tell you that it was at black market or did they get it from daddy's cabinet or was it on the counter and mom didn't put it away correctly. They don't tell you those little minute things and that's kind of missing. Um, so keep that in mind when you read these, you know, when it comes to regulation, a lot of the issues that we have with kids getting cannabis is from the black market. And a lot of the black market cannabis is coming from Oklahoma, Colorado, and California. Um, very rarely is it Washington, Oregon, you know, Oregon, yeah, a little bit more than Washington. Um, so that bill did die. However, in HB 313, there is language and actually the, the amendment the other day. And I said, opaque being clear. I meant opaque means you can't see through it. I just, I mixed it up in my head. They added an amendment on there where the packaging has to be opaque and some other stuff for kids. Um, so th that could affect, you know, you as a business, I guess, you know, having to have opaque packaging um, in the 313. But, you know, this being shot down, it's a blow, I guess. They're, they're worried about the kids. But at the same time, um, I just kind of felt like it was, the, oh, what about the children kind of thing? You know, like, oh, let's, let's, let's make it more restrictive for the cannabis people because we're worried about the kids. Um, but in, in reality, the, the issue is that, you know, the kids aren't being watched, you know, the, you know, by the people who take care of them. So I, I don't know. How do you feel about that? I, yeah, I guess I don't think I just don't necessarily. I mean, there's probably particular regulation that I think, you know, would be beneficial, but I don't think it hits the heart of the problem, which yeah. would be like, yeah, just youth, you know, what goes on at home and things like from there. I mean, just generally, there's a lot in terms of raising youth that I think, I mean, just interventionally that, you know, I mean, New Mexico can be better. I guess our United States of America can be better, but it starts at home for sure. Like people got to just, I mean, got to get right on that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you, you are part of the black market guys, shame for shame on you for selling to kids. That's, it's not right. Don't do that. Um, that's all I'm going to say on that. And then now we're going to move on to the next bill, HB 242. It's the medical cannabis renewal ID thing. So what it does is Right now, your cards are good for three years, but you still have to have kind of like an official doctor visit with your doctor every year. What this does is it jumps it down to two years. It's good. But your doctor only has to tell the state that they're seeing you and this and that. There's not like this whole official form thing that you have to fill. It's kind of like a renewal. That's what it felt like every year. It was like, I'm doing a renewal. Uh, but this kind of makes it feel less like a renewal. And, you know, you get that benefit of the two years because you're not like stuck going to the doctor. The doctor just has to confirm that they're still seeing you, that the cannabis is still working. And that um, you're still, you know, are prescribing or recommend cannabis for them for what they're dealing with. Um, that one actually passed the House and the Senate and is headed off to the governor for signature. Um, so I see that as kind of a benefit. I kind of wish they kept the three-year component on there, um, but it went to two. 
this actually didn't have any amendments to it. It went in clean. I mean, it, it went in and no one, I guess, had any issues with it because I didn't see any amendments for it, um, which is interesting because normally you have at least one amendment um, on most bills or, you know, someone have an issue, but it got all due passes and it went right on through and it's right onto the governor's desk for signature. So that was actually really interesting. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, I know you guys oh. do the cards and stuff, but, you know, you partner with someone. So we do. Um, basically, we have a couple people that um, are businesses that we associate with to do that. Basically, One Salute is one of them. Um, okay. And we um, basically are like a hub for the form collection and as well as Decino Bella. So those providers from those clinics will do basically like uh, online consultation as long, so long as the patient fills out that um, form at our pharmacy and then we just distribute it back accordingly. And so they'll make the appointment um, and get patients renewed. That was a nice little thing that we um, had learned. I mean, shout out to High Horse actually on that because they were the ones who had initially showed us that this was ever a thing and that we're willing to just create that service and let us be a part of it. So that was awesome. And basically, um, yeah, uh, it's nice to see providers that are starting to kind of see the benefits of it. And not only on the benefit side for just taking care of the patients, but there is monetary gain for providers to build the insurance for treating for the appointment of medical cannabis. And the insurance pays them for their appointment at just as the same units and whatever that they do on their other medical billing. And they can continue on with their lives. And yeah. everybody's, it's incorporated. It's justified. Because yeah. you're not getting cannabis. You're just getting a doctor visit. You're not even getting a card. That goes to the state. So, yeah, it's like you're literally just going to the doctor to fill out a form. Yeah. That's like literally all it is. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, and like. The doctors were scared to give the form. Yeah, yeah. Thing. <laughs> yeah, and, and like, for a long time, there was a lot of taboo. And especially like when I you know, joined the program in 2013, I mean, I had to, it took me a long time to find a doctor that actually prescribed cannabis in the first place. And when I did, it cost me probably $400 in total. Because um, they knew it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they knew it back then. <laughs> and, you know, these days it's a little different. But back then, yeah, it was a little bit different. So, you know, and I kind of figured something like this would affect your guys' businesses, you know, with working with them or, you know, it might change things a little bit. Anything you know? that can make it more convenient for people. Like, yeah. it's nothing that we even considerably care need or need to make a lick on. But I want people to have the medical cannabis cards. It yeah. makes every life, it just makes life easier for what we're doing, for sure. Stop paying taxes. Yes, exactly. And stop paying the taxes on <laughs> yeah. it, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's not a secret. You don't have to pay taxes if you have a medical cannabis card. It's a medicine. It's, it's yeah. very, I mean. And you get actually more protections legally. You do get those uh, work protections, which do need um, some tweaking. And actually, I'll jump down to the work protections. Um, so the bill that changes um, a position to the safety-sensitive position, meaning that it's only going to be a safety-sensitive position if, it's a, you know, if you have to carry a weapon, um, that one hasn't seen the floor yet. So I'm not sure if it's going to pass, and I don't think it will, which is unfortunate because I feel like that component needed to be um, added more than most anything because there's a lot of people I know personally who are being affected by this um, because they'll apply for a job and then they won't get it because, oh, you have a medical cannabis card. And then they'll just say it's you know safety sensitive you know for whatever reason. You have to write with a pencil. You might stab yourself in the eye or something really stupid. Um, so that kind of worries me. Um, we actually might not see this bill pass until 2025 because next year is a 30-day session. Every other year, um, it switches between a 30 and a 60-day session. We're on a 60-day session this year. Next year will be 30, so our next 60-day session will be 2025. Um, there's a possibility that next year it could pass. You know, you know they could rocket docket it. Is you know, I guess it's a term that they kind of coined here in New Mexico is where they just pass it through legislature as fast as possible. You know, only maybe one or two committees 
and um, House and Senate, and that's about it. And they just put it through, push it through. That's kind of what they did um, when we passed um, recreational cannabis. We had the special session, and they pretty much rocket docketed it, you know, through a couple of uh, committees. I remember watching all of them; it was, it was hell. Um, but I mean, this right here, I, I'm, I'm a little sad that it didn't pass. I, I don't know about how about you. I basically. In terms of, I didn't know this safety sensitive position existed, but the context that I kind of understood the workplace rights and the Americans with Disabilities Act rights on that was like, obviously like a super big time gray area that, I mean, it sounded like most companies wouldn't want to go to war with that when yeah. you have that in front of you. And obviously I'm sure you can find ways where the argument makes sense. Like, I mean, you know, doing it blatantly at like work or whatever being under the influence in terms of the way your job is not supposed to have like you're not supposed to be of course like you're breaking the rules there but in terms of like you know medicine and that part like it's right i i don't know what the safety sensitive position is it sounds like that the corporate that's just a way to really kind of like try to protect yourself on that side for somebody that's trying to protect themselves with the medical card so yeah. it's like a all right, here's your check and mate kind of thing. But I, I mean, from what I was aware in like, this might be completely off or whatever, because I don't have the exact cases, but like UNMH has lost this battle before. Like I'm pretty sure that Walmart doesn't want to go with this battle and they've refused to actually go on the battle and people don't even like bat an eye. So I, um, I heard Sandia didn't want to go to battle with this. Oh, really? Um, but I haven't one. heard anything about White Sands. I haven't heard anything about other federal institutions. But um, I've I've heard of people with enough gumption that have challenged that and have not been fired. Basically. Oh, okay. But I don't know where that sensitive safety sensitive clause is, and I don't know if that safety sensitive clause ever was enough. To begin with that people had the right argument basically yeah it, it was actually changed when we initially changed the medical cannabis program it was added in there and it was kind of i felt like it wasn't strong enough then okay um, i felt the language wasn't strong enough because i was like well then they can just say any position safety sensitive position and everyone's screwed you know and then now what they're the argument they're using is well we can't tell if you're high at work and to me that still doesn't make sense and shouldn't be used it's kind of discriminatory still um, they're assuming that you're always going to be high because you have a medical cannabis card, um, which isn't the case. So, right, so then exactly at that and, point, it's, it's null and void. It doesn't matter if like, if you've got your medical card, right. It's like, you're not inebriated anymore because right. And that, like, I mean, unless you were going to get on like some sort of machinery and equipment that has literally been like completely like, that's a technical job that you cannot like. I don't know that you cannot do. I don't know how you vet that. Like, I don't know how you vet that. Yeah. yeah Cause but, those guys drink a lot of the times. Those no, guys right. are usually drunk. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like, like because let's be honest, a lot of the dudes that do stuff like that, they drink. So that's no, exactly. That's where I would also say exactly. Like there's other substances other than cannabis. Yeah. Like, and, but yeah, so you've got the medical protections. Um, I don't think it should even be an argument as to whether or not you are high at work, as long as you don't make it a problem with smells yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. And, don't be right like inebriated to the point where you can't function and do your job and that's what this bill kind of codified to it said that you know as long as you're not you know medicated at work and it's up to your employer too if your employer says you know if you need medicated at work please go ahead you know it's not a worrisome that's up to your employer um but this law would have given the option to you know um do this but you just won't be high at work or you can't be high at work and it also 
specify that a safety sense of position is if you are using heavy machinery or if you have to carry a gun for your um, work, if you're a cop or if you're like a security guard, an armed security guard. See, that's cool. It, at least it defines some lines there. I yeah. don't necessarily know what or what and what to say that medicine can't treat this job differently than that job because that's just the Americans with disabilities rights like yeah. fiasco in and of itself. Yeah. So, And I think a lot of people are too afraid to sue or they're too poor to sue, especially in the state. Now, I, that's what I've been running into is people just don't have the funds to sue these, you know, the city or sue the state, you know, and no one's taking it up pro bono either. So we just haven't seen the courts fair. challenge this yet. Fair. Yeah. Fair, fair. And so until the courts challenge this, and I'm looking at all my viewers, someone should challenge this. Um, this is probably going to stick and more people are going to probably get discriminated against. So it's going to probably take Saul. a course. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to call Saul. <laughs> what, what was the name of his mascots? He went to like the <laughs> University of Samoa or something. Was it the, the coconut crabs? He's like, go coconut crabs. <laughs> oh, that's great. So that's it for two, for HB 292. We're going to go to the last thing on this, guys. I know it's a long episode, but there was so much packed into this and I wanted to get it out to you guys. So this last one is kind of important. And if you could bring it up on the screen for me. So Texas wants to add checkpoints going from New Mexico into Texas. So not only do in the South, we have to worry about Southern New Mexico, like federal checkpoints, literally any direction you go outside of Las Cruces. Now you'll have to worry about, you know, just driving down. And sometimes your neighbor in Texas, New Mexico is in Texas and you're in New Mexico. So I'm not too sure how they're going to do this because you have Anthony, you have Gaston, all these other Santa Teresa and Southern Park that they're literally Texas, New Mexico. They're both. And so I'm not too sure how they would go about this. And what they would do is they would set up checkpoints on all public roads leaving New Mexico into Texas. And it would be to look for narcotics or breaking any other law, i.e. abortions. So what this bill is geared to mostly, from what I got anyway, that's my personal opinion, is that they're trying to crack down on cannabis coming to Texas for whatever reason, just legalize it already. And they're trying to crack down on abortions leaving Texas. So when you're coming back, they're trying to figure out if you got an abortion. So to me, this seems like they're violating a lot of rights. I'm no lawyer, but this just seems terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot to uh, unfold there. I mean, minus the, I guess, uh, political commentary there that just seems to be a little invasive. Yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> yeah, very invasive. I mean, yeah, it's you're not doing anything other than being from New Mexico, and that, that's kind of like that's kind of crappy and shitty because we have the word Mexico in our name, so we already have that going against us. And now we go to Texas, and it's like, oh great, now I really feel like I'm not a citizen. And so you know, now we get that. And keep this in mind, guys. This isn't law. Um, this is introduced by Representative King uh, Ken King of District 88 in Texas. So if you happen to be from Texas, you happen to be a representative. Call them and you know give them a very stringent email. Don't cuss at people, guys. If you talk to your representatives, no one wants to deal with that. You know, they're still people. Just give them the, some respect that they're going to give you. You know, just don't cuss at them. It doesn't help. Um, so it was introduced by him. So if that happens to be him, or if he's not, and you just want to email him to tell you that you just disagree with this, then by all means, that's your right. Um, this bill to me doesn't seem like it will pass because there's a lot of funds that would need to go into this. Like Texas would have to use so much of its funds for this. And I feel like there would be so little that would come to it because there is components in this that they have to have probable cause or, you know, if they feel like you are breaking the law kind of thing, then they could. And, you know, who, who knows if they even have the staffing, the police staffing to even do something like this, you know? Right. It um, seems like that's the closest thing they could have ever done to breaking off, being their own Texas 
Lone Star country at that point. Like, yeah, you're regulating what's coming in, what's coming out, all yeah. over who's coming in, who's coming out. Like, I mean, <laughs> it's it's crazy. And if you guys look at the screen, I have the bill up there. You can read it for yourselves and everything that it says. Um, not everything, you know, it's kind of cut off because I got this from Twitter. I told you guys I get some of the best information from Twitter. Um, and you can read it for yourselves. You know, as I said, this is just introduced. It hasn't had its committee hearing. I think it was just introduced yesterday. So I'm not too sure how many committees it's in or, you know, what it's going to happen. I doubt it's going to pass. And if it does, I see a lot of lawsuits um, happening from it. What direction they're going to go, I have no clue. But I do see this as a uphill battle if anything passes with it. But I, I really don't. I, I see it as a long shot. Of course, it's improbable, not impossible, <laughs> you know, just like most things in, in life, you know. So I, I don't know, like, how, how would you feel, you know, having to live here and do that? Because, you know, we'd have to, we'd be, we'd be directly affected by this. Yeah, I guess, I suppose, I think, I mean, I would just be, I would be really shocked if that was the case. That's, uh, I mean, yeah, like, that's a crazy dividing line between pretty much, like, yeah, that would be like a divisive line that Texas divides decides to uh, to draw I yeah and i just i couldn't see it any other way i as uh entrepreneurial as you know governor abbott seems to be like i know he was pretty hot on crypto and that we know where crypto is now and yeah. i mean i think he should look at some of that economic you know 40 million dollars that we made last month that 27 million of it probably came from his state <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're not wrong there. <laughs> and they're missing out on that because they could make yeah. fist over hand over fist as exactly. we are. You make, yeah. make your money and uh, you don't have to have the checkpoints and, you know, go on into the, the newer, better world versus like taking like 15 steps back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, this is this is a step I've never seen before, to be honest. Like, this is like, whoa, you might as well just become your own country by now. But you're like, if you're going to do that, just go ahead and break it off. <laughs> So, yeah, and if that's the case, El Paso, we'll, we'll take you. You know, you, you belong to us anyway. Um, well, that's a, for a story for another day. Um, but, yeah, that's all I had for the, the Texas checkpoint things. I mean, do you have anything else for that? Um, no, I, I know checkpoints are a problem already as far as just for the New Mexicans and the New Mexico operators and New Mexico patients in general. Um, so, basically, yeah, like it's still federally illegal. So they can still technically, you know, impose their will if they really wanted to even though you know they there's obviously a mutual understanding of what's going on there but yeah. that's the kind of creepy part about it and everything else um it, and unfortunately it chokes out stuff yeah. for sure and if you guys didn't know the the uh supreme court came down and said that actually within 100 miles of any border within the united states the border patrol actually has authority to do warrantless searches so they can just come to your house and search your house if they want so living within 100 miles of the border, we really don't have as many rights as someone else who lives just, just above the border. And that's unfortunate because we shouldn't have different rights in different parts of the country just because we choose to live where some of our families have lived for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Um, so, you know, my family was included in that. You know, they, they were given two options. Um, stay here and become American citizens or go back to Mexico and, you know, start over there. <laughs> <laughs> so we know what option they took. And red pill or blue pill like morpheus <laughs> exactly so but anyway guys that is it for this week's episode of ash chad grassy logic i'm sorry it was so long maybe you guys enjoy the long show but there was just so much to unpack and so much information that you know um joaquin was giving us that i just i couldn't stop it so enjoy the long episode i'll be back next week with another episode new titles 
new topics and a new co-host. But I mean, I'm really glad that you you joined me today. There was so much information. You know, I learned so much. Um, and I hope you, you learned a little bit too about the, you know, the legal process or the, you know, how laws are made. Um, and, you know, I, I can't wait to see what you, what comes from the future from you guys, you know, and congratulations on being the first um, pharmacy to sell, you know, cannabis in the nation. Thanks, man. Thanks for putting us on, on the Grassy Logic podcast today. I appreciate the reach out and um, yeah, everything that you guys, uh, within the whole Adam's Radio Group, if I'm correct. Yeah, yeah, Adam's Radio okay. Group is the one who, yeah. So appreciate a uh, shout out to Adam's Radio Group and everything like that for, um, you know, everything that they're doing. These guys yeah. are grinding hard. So, yeah, um, and helping sure. us out. Gino, my producer over here, shout out to you, man. You're working hard. <laughs> so, fine young man back here, too. Exactly. Right, exactly. And before we go, um, can you give everybody the address, maybe? Uh, I forgot to ask you that. Oh, earlier. absolutely. So, um, Messiah Valley Pharmacy, we are at 227 South Main Street. We're going to be doing our grand opening ribbon cutting on Saturday, April 15th. The ribbon cutting is at 11. Um, starting at 9 a.m., we are going to be uh, giving out free cups of coffee. The first 150 cups of coffee from Traveling Tom's Coffee Truck are going to be free to the first 150 people. So, definitely the more coffee. reason to come on down and check out the health fair and the free coffee and all the other uh, cool stuff that we will have pretty much there. So definitely want to hype that up because that's like all I can think about right now, but for sure. So <laughs> thanks again, Chad. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming on. So go down there and go get your legal drugs. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thank you. And I'll be back next week and uh, we'll see you again. Shoots. <laughs>